This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 755, brought to you by Bookshelf. Save and organize any type of digital media at B-O-O-K-S-H-L-F.com and on their iOS app from the Apple Store. And iFanboy listeners just like you who are washing their hands and wearing their masks and being smart and good. Fanboy Pick of the Week, episode 755. I'm Connor Kilpatrick. This is Josh Flanagan. Hey! And that's it. That's it this week. Thanks, everyone. We gave Ryan his compliment of science talk for the month. Mm-hmm. He can come back in November. We've done enough. We are a fanboy. Every week we read a bunch of comics. One of us picks their favorite one. We call it the Pick of the Week. We'll talk about that book, other books from the week. Some listener mail if we have time. The patron pick. All kinds of fun things happen here. Because it's the, it's, there's not a lot of room for fun in life right now. And we try to find it where we can. That the show is one of the things that we do for that, for us and hopefully for you. Listen, you don't need to justify it for them. I'm just saying, we try to make it fun. Yeah. Try to make it nice. Here's a spoiler warning. This is a review show. There'll be spoilers, exercise, and caution. Josh, you had the pick this week. I did have the pick. Now, if you remember last time that I had the pick, it was a whole thing where I read a bunch of books and they were okay. And mm-hmm. I kind of was like, I got to pick something. Right. It was a little different this week in that I read a bunch of books and they were all pretty good. Like I had fun. I enjoyed mm-hmm. reading my books this week, but I didn't have like a standout. So I had to I had to put my thinking cap on. Yeah. And I, I first the first thing I did was I thought, how much time do you have to think about this? <laughs> so I I, re, I I figured that out first because you, you can't go in without a plan. Right. That's just you got to know what you're up against. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I came away from it making the pick of the week. Strange Academy number four from Scotty Young from Humberto Ramos on art, Edgar Delgado on color, and uh, Clayton Cowles on letters. Here's how it works. I realize that I really look forward to this book. Mm-hmm. When I see this new issue, I'm like, oh. And, and they're not coming out every two weeks, so there's oh. a little you know, reorientation. And it's fun. It reminds me of you know, like the X-Men Academy days. I'm mean, yes. sort of done in that mold. But really what we're working with is a bunch of new characters, more or less, in Marvel, and you get to know them, and they have secrets, and there's rivalries, and there's all those things, and it, it, you know, it's really fun, and and it's we all we've said, you know, like, well, they have a hard time coming up with new characters at Marvel, and these are all just antecedents of characters that sort of already exist for the most part, yeah, yeah. But I think I have a soft spot for the Marvel young team books because if I think back. You had um, X-Men Academy, which is really one of the last X-Men books I regularly read and enjoyed. There was Dennis Hopeless's, uh, the one where they're like the Hunger Games. Oh, yeah. Basically. It was, yeah, well, you had X-Men Avengers. X-Men Arena. You had Avengers. Young Avengers. First of all, go to Young Avengers, Runaways. That's further back. That's, mm-hmm. you're big yep. fans of those books, as we, we, we all were. Um, Avengers Arena, X-Men, uh, Wolverine the X-Men. Was that the name of that book? That was the Academy Maybe, yeah. Book? Yeah. Yeah, these are fun. Yeah, and and so you you take that and you uh, couple it with the fact that I really I have I've really enjoyed watching Scotty Young become a really capable writer. Yeah, you know, like everybody's been a fan of his art for a really long time, but he kind of made this. It's weird because it's a guy who's completely known for having this very original art style, and when he would do a book, it was a big deal, 
and he's almost completely shifted over to writing books instead of drawing them. I know lots of guys who were artists and they became script writers because they weren't great artists. Mm-hmm. But he's a great artist and yep. he still he made that switch over. <laughs> it's kind of unprecedented. Probably uh, uh, less work. Oh, I'm sure. And then he can dash off a sketch a day and <laughs> sell them for more than I make in a year. <laughs> You know, but I've just been impressed by it. He's a great writer. I think between yes. this book and um, the one on image whose name middle, right? middle of the West. Middle, yeah, this book, this book particularly is really fun. Yeah, and it also it looks so good. Yeah, no, and that's incredible. the other like. A little while back, we were I don't remember on what format we were having a conversation about like who's the artist you know who represents this age or whatever of, of probably comics. Probably seven fifty. That's why we did it. Yeah, and I and I I I, I, I floated the name Humberto Ramos. Now I don't think that that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. But I do think that he occupies this great space. You know, like whenever he shows up in a book, it's a good thing. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's just he's got his own style that is instantly recognizable and fun. It has its own energy, but it does feel very Marvel. You know, it fits in. It's not like an outsider kind of thing. It, it's it's sort of the perfect amount of stylism and just just being the right guy for the job. And you know, he's, this is this is a lot of work. You've got a, like a large number of characters, and this goes for the writing too that we all have to get to know. They're kind of lots of crazy kind of monster people and, and they're kids. And, you know, there's a real good distinction between those characters. We, we know who we're looking at for the most part. You know, overall, it's a really challenging book to do. Um, and there's big action scenes and, like, they destroyed a library with a giant monster and then one of the other girls becomes a giant. And it's a lot. And, yeah. and I just, I think it's being accomplished really tidily. It doesn't feel labored at any point. You know, at the same time, you've got there's always a bunch of characters standing around. There's always the mindless ones there. And it's really fun. You know, it's, it's got an element of a lot of things that I like and it's being worked capably. Now, this issue was fun. It's, fu- it's funny because I, I, you know, in Comixology, you can hit the page view and you can get sort of the grid of pages. Yep. You look at them all in one place. I'm like, there's not really many pages for everything that happened in this one. <laughs> there's an issue in the library that's going on. And then they decide they're going to play tag through doors. So they're Magic taking, door you know, tag. Magic door tag. They're going. They're jumping between dimensions. They end up in weird world. They end up in like all these different places, and it's very fast paced. And you still manage to get a bunch of characterization out for a bunch of people. It's a lot. It is a lot, and I think part of the feeling of it being so dense is the art is that because every panel is packed full of detail and yeah. texture and characters. Humberto Ramos doesn't skimp. You know that's impressive, not just on its own, but also in the fact that like. He's a veteran. He doesn't probably have to put so much into it, but he just does. Like he goes for they go into Asgard, they go into Weird, yeah. weird World. Spider Man makes a cameo. Yes, there's a, there's a quick Spider Man. If you go back, it, you know, and you'll see stuff in the background. So the original page were there in the library, and the mindless ones are around. Out the window, you can see the giant girl looking in. You know, right? Is just oh, yeah, yeah. There's always something more to see. And this has had some of my favorite pages, I think, in the comics I'm reading lately. Yeah, God, it's beautiful. Ramos is a veteran. He knows what he's doing. And he's got a very unique style that it's very lived in. You know, there's the the <laughs> stone floors have texture. The, the scene where Dr. Strange is walking through, like, the I was just looking at basement. that. That is, a, that is a great Dr. Strange. Yeah. Like, he's got weight to him. You know, he's kind of... He's grim. They managed to bring the, the ghost dog back. I forgot about the ghost good dog. Bats. Yeah. yeah, I love that dog. 
It's just, yeah, this is a fun book. I remember when we first got the announcement about our, the, uh, the Marvel, I think Marvel sent out a packet to the reviewers. Yeah, they actually, actually sent us the, they're not viewers. Yeah. They actually sent the issue, which doesn't happen anymore. Like, I got a FedEx one day. I'm like, the hell's this? And it was the first issue. I remember being like, oh, okay. But then I read it, and I was like, it was really good. And it's been good ever yeah. since. And I, I do like seeing it when it comes out. I'm looking forward to a little bit of story. I mean, I don't need there to be, like, a complicated tapestry of in these kind of school books. But it'll be nice when there's some sort of overall story explored. Right now, we're just sort of hanging out with the characters, which is good, because we gotta, we got to get to know them. Yeah. And we're only on the fourth issue. Yeah. I mean, like you know, it's the fact that when something comes up monthly now, it just it just feels like <laughs> it's six months. They like rewired our brains. They have totally yeah, they fucked did. us. Yeah, this book is great. You're right. Going to the page view, seeing how actually few pages. And I think that's probably the you know case for every comic now because they're all twenty pages. Yeah, but I mean, they make it didn't the most feel of like it. it. Didn't feel like it at all. Boy, the the giant fighting the creature that mm-hmm. crashes through the. That's what you want out of superhero comics right, right. there, those pages. That's right. that's 100% the way that things should be. Yeah. It's really fun. I dig it, and I, I like that. Like, I can compare it to other books that have come along before, but I can't compare it to any of the books that are out right now. And like yeah. this is, I feel like this is what comics should be right now. Like It's just fun and exciting and a lot of really inventive things and colorful, you know. Right, not, it, not, not 1986. That's what it is. And a little scary to the, the cliffhanger. Sure. It's a little like, oh, no. Kids <laughs> kids in the swamp. Mr. Bill's in this one, huh? <laughs> He's got leeches. <laughs> uh, what's next? John Constantine Hellblazer, 11. I think this is the penultimate issue, is it not? It feels like it, yeah. 12 would be the, would be the natural final issue. Well, yeah, but if you're doing a, a supernatural book, 13 might be the way to go, so it's hard to say. <laughs> I don't think the trade paperback people care about poetry. That's why I don't get to be editor. I'm like, no, no, you got to do 13 because it's cool. The numbers don't support that. Well, So this one was very much like an overview, which I thought was really interesting for the second to last issue. Mm-hmm. Not an overview of what we've seen, but an overview of sort of the big bad, sort of the big bad. I guess right. ultimately John Constantine is the big bad. So what did you think of this? I started and I thought, oh no, you're just going to be explaining something to me the whole time. (laughs) But it really did kind of suck me in. And I thought the idea of this member of parliament who's actually a demon or entity or something who who feeds off of fear. Like a fear succubus. A boggart is one of the things. Or or they call them the bogey or a hobgoblin. It's just that kind of, you know, fairy tale monster. And he becomes, yeah, he becomes a, you know, a politician and and he's sort of that UKIP kind of thing who's sowing fear and uh, distrust of the other. And he's like, this was great. And then eventually the politicians become too corrupt for him. (laughs) And it's like, it's not the same. And I'm not getting that out of it. It's just now it's just making themselves, you know, rich and changing the rules for them. And then they they go into this underground bunker and the man says, there's a shower over there. Uh, there's a knife, cut an opening and put yourself in. And it was like, what? <laughs> and they go in and all of these naked politicians are in coital bliss with the body of like a giant who is Albion, which is a representation of great Britain. And it is like, it is such like the symbolism 
yeah. is right on your nose. I mean, it's not. There's nothing <laughs> subtle about it. They've carved little holes for themselves, and they're going to town and wherever the body. And the, there's women who are have mounted things that have been mounted to the like. It's just yeah. It's the it's, the politicians it's a, of Britain are metaphorically and literally fucking Great Britain. Yeah. Like he pulled in some Garth Ennis, he pulled in some yeah. Warren Ellis. It, it all works within Hellblazer, and then and then and then finally, like I I don't want to leave it out, you know, like Aaron Campbell. Mm. You know, the thing is that I I said I saw this narration and this, and I thought, oh, that's not that's not fun. But man, the art is so yeah. good to look at. Uh, Jordi Belair. If you told me this was Jordi Belair coloring it, I don't know if I'd have seen it. But she's really increased her range mm-hmm. of the kinds of stuff that she can do. And the sort of use of, of the reds and the greens and how they're going back and forth. It's, you know, the, the color works in terms of the narrative. Uh, you can you, so you can tell by the color if you're in the present or the past. And, it, you know, it was just it's just a really fascinating little book. You know, we're, this is over soon. I, I don't I don't know when we're going to see this kind of thing again. Right. So I, I'm, I'm really appreciating it. So we still we have this to deal with and then we still have old John Constantine to deal with. So. We'll see what happens with it. It's but, a lot for one know. more issue to go. Yeah, it is. Well, they weren't planning on stopping there. This arc was was planned on yeah, being yeah. over, so it'll be a lot to wrap up. And yeah, conclusions next month. So Lazarus Risen. Speaking of a lot, <laughs> number five, right? Yeah. Yep. Are you still not enjoying it like this? It's like sixty-eight pages with all the. Yeah, everything. I'm not enjoying it like this, but I am enjoying it. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, it takes a really long time yep. for me to get back to where we were, and I, I really like the story with forever when I can find it, because <laughs> everything else is kind of rough for me. I'm not sure. I went. I spent time. So at the beginning, I'm not really sure who anybody is or where we are in a place. Well, we talked about this before. Like the problem is that forever and the trainer at Compo look exactly the same. Mo- yeah, what's her name? Acampo. Her last name is Acampo. Yeah, yeah. And then you have Young Forever, and then and then there's so in the beginning they're in the woods, and Young Forever. Well, we'll call it eight and seven. That's that was at least yeah. somewhat helpful. Seven is meeting with eight, and they come out, and there's Beth mm-hmm. and Joe, and I guess Joe is the woman who is in charge of Carlisle. Yeah. And I and I can't. I, I was trying to remember. Like, is she bad or good? I don't remember. Right. If she's trying to fuck over forever, or does she care about her? And and then I was like, wait, is she one of the women? Wait, I just, I can't. I don't know who anybody else is at this point. I mean, the problem is that there's such complicated personal dynamics. And yes, the problem is they couldn't survive with monthly issues, or where they couldn't get it done in monthly issues, whatever the reason. So they went to this sort of quarterly format. And he admitted after the first one or two that he had trouble sort of adapting the story to that new format. Mm-hmm. And I'm a trade person, so there's just got to be a different way to handle. He can't, look, he gives you a run on the character at the beginning. He gives you what yep. happened last. That's super helpful. Without that, I'd be totally lost. But the problem with a book like this is it's so dense and there's so many characters and they look all the same. And there's so many complicated relationships that it's hard to keep track when it's only four times a, a year. And so mm-hmm. something has to be done differently. This is a novel. Yeah. I mean, I, it's really silly to be like, well, he's a novelist, but he's writing this like a novel. And I think the only way that you could follow all of this read is to once. read everything at once yeah. like a novel. This does not work. It 
it's not bad. It's just the timing, you know, our brains are, are fucked and this is too much. That being said, this is Forever's Michael Corleone issue where she she gets her revenge on two of the families for killing her possible boyfriend. Yeah. She just basically wipes out two of the whole f- warring families, the Marais and the D'Souza's. Yeah, by the end, I was totally into it. I know. When she when they, she took out the D'Souza's, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then, she, then they had the raid on the Marais compound, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. By then, you're like, fuck. It's the same thing as with... Uh, you know, at the end of the Godfather, when they had to baptize the baby, you're just like, oh shit, well, that happened. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> so I really liked special. it. Once yeah. I got to the end, I was like, that was awesome. You know? The initial scene, you know, with the two forevers, I liked it a lot, but I have no idea how we got there. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I knew who they were, but I don't remember the circumstances leading up to it. And then it took me about half the issue to get myself acquainted. Mm-hmm. You know, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. 30 pages or 25 pages or whatever. Once I got there, I was good. But the fact is, whenever the next one comes out, this is going to happen again. Groundhog Day. Is that, like the war I get. I don't need to be reacquainted with the war because we've been mm-hmm. reading that for that, I don't know, has it been five or six years we've been reading this book? Yeah. But, you know, where we are in Forever's life and development and her trying to break free and the, and the new Forever and the Doctor. So, like, it, that's stuff that you have to reacquaint yourself with. And it's half this issue. It's a lot. You know, the first half is basically forever and seven and eight and their, you know, telemetry Marisol, packages and Marisol and, Beth and, and Joe and yeah, it's just, that's tough. That's tough. Yep. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I, I don't know anybody's motivations. Like I, there's duplicity or there's guile or whatever's going on. Like I'm unclear what any of that is at this point. At one point, time passes, and Forever's hair starts to get a little longer, and I was like, great. And then I think she cut it again. I was like, damn it. <laughs> there really is, I, and I, you know, we love Michael Lark. I love him. He's one of my favorite artists, but he's got a design problem here. That, yeah, that I just don't know how. I mean, to be it's, addressed a, it's a little shaggier at the end, so that's good. But, like, yeah, I don't, there was, like, three or four issues in a row where she and Marisol look exactly the same. And so that was a real problem, and it was, a, yeah. it was still a problem at the beginning of this issue. I guess Marisol's the one with the tattoo. Like, that's sure. supposed to be the signal. But when I see two close-ups of people's faces talking to each other, and they have the same haircut and the same face and the same skin tone, it's like, okay. And the same color, know. yeah. I don't know what's going on here. Yep, I But agree. I'm, I'm always like, oh, Lazarus. And mm-hmm. then I just spend half the issue reacquainting I think, myself. I think given all of this... I, I think I have to rescind my threat. Yeah, well, they they changed the rules on you. They did. They changed the rules on me. So I don't want the book to be canceled. I would like to finish it because I'd like to know where it's going. But mm-hmm. I will no longer be putting anyone against the wall. Yeah, just it's just a compassionate thing to do from a leader. Yeah, I mean it's the right it's the right call. And I'm you know in this world I don't want to be the leader making the wrong choices. <laughs> they changed the game on you. Changed the game. Colonel Weird, Colin Cosmagog. Number one from Jeff Lemire and Tyler Crook. This is the latest in Jeff Lemire's Black Hammer Empire. And Colonel Weird is one of my favorite characters from Black Hammer. He is the Adam Strange analog. Because as we know, Black Hammer is sort of a Silver Age DC analog book. He is the character that is caught between several dimensions. He's not exactly Adam Strange, although his dress is just like him. His name is Colonel Weird. But... He sort of lives at all times simultaneously, so he's the character who sort of lost his mind and sees the past, present, future all at the same time. And so he's always saying 
ominous, portentous things. So here we have an issue that focuses entirely on him, and the Tyler Crook art is just incredible. He's great. I love Tyler Crook. He did BPRD for a while. Yeah, he does the art, the color, the lettering. He does everything. We're really sort of diving into this character as... I be, it's hard to keep track of because there's so many of these books, but if you think of the end of the main Black Hammer story, everybody but Colonel Weird escaped the purgatory, and he's now he's sort of left on his own. So we're seeing him here living in the past as a kid, and he also, we sort of flash to the, not the present, but the time when they fought the dark side anti-god and got sent to purgatory in the first place, and then we see him in his spaceship when he's an, sort of a younger man, and, and so there's all thing, all kinds of things happening here. He's at one point a hippie guru. We're seeing all facets of his life, and I guess he's going to try to put himself back together. It was a really fun issue, and a really beautiful issue. Between this and uh, Strange Academy, these are the two of the best-looking books this week. Yeah. He's an interesting character, and this is kind of a place you can jump on. It's confusing, but it's meant to be. The character is confusing, and I think we're going to sort of get less confusing as it goes on. Lemire's clearly having a lot of fun. This is some of his best work as in these Black Hammer books. Like, I know that it's good. Mm -hmm. And if I had started from the beginning, I'd be there. But every once in a while, I'll see one of those books come out and I go, that looks cool. What is that? Look at that team. And then I go, oh, it's Black Hammer. I don't have to do that. I get it. I mean, it's a lot of books. Yeah, no, it totally is. And, And like each of the individual minis... I'm like, that looks pretty good. I guess I'll have to add. And I'm like, oh, no, I missed that boat. Can't go. Sorry. Have fun. Like, you got to let some go. It's Yeah, it's tough. I, I haven't counted how many, but it feels like there's constantly a mini going on from Black Hammer. There's and dozens. Yeah. He's got a cottage industry going on. But hey, if that works for him, that's awesome. You know, it seems, um, to. Um, it seems to be popular. Cool, yeah, that's, 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 that's a, and that's a cool gig to get. And he gets incredible artists on it. Yes. Guys like Tyler Crook, but also guys you've never heard of who are terrific. And uh, I mean, I, I think he fits. I, I think this is a better fit for him than DC. Oh, yeah. He, he gets to kind of do DC, but do, on his own terms and not worry about it. Yeah. And because on his own, you know, in, in that system, like he did pretty good work, but you just got the sense like you're not. Yeah. He's not hitting his stride the way that he does on his own stuff. No, he has, a, he has his own tone. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really fit with Marvel or DC, but it fits with his indie stuff or with or with his at the time vertigo books mm-hmm. yeah so this sort of marries those two things it marries like old school dc plus his strange indie tone and we get really great stuff out of it i think that he finally hit something it seems to be you know hit the zeitgeist when it first came out and it's pop it got popular i mean dark horse i mean the fact that they're still out. doing them means yeah. something there was just one last week i just read or the week before and they're constantly there's constantly black hammer oh it's skull digger yeah that was last week so he's constantly got books coming out Mm-hmm. let's take a quick break and talk about bookshelf bookshelf is like your actual bookshelf josh but for digital content it's a place you can save and organize any type of digital media your favorite articles podcasts playlists youtube videos newsletters etc all onto shelves you can add all your favorite content from any source in one place where you can share it with your community no more screenshotting articles or texting things to your friends now they can find it all on bookshelf here's how it works on bookshelf each user creates shelves to organize their content shelves are like lists or collections Shelves are unique to each other and allow you to express your taste and expertise. Your shelves can be organized by topic, by mood, by category, or media type, anything you want. They're shareable on any platform like Twitter, email, or text to your friends. It's social. We don't want to be social. We're all stuck inside. We need social interaction. Bookshelf is social. You can follow users to see their bookshelves and follow their content, what they like. Subscribe to shelves curated by experts and members of your community across any category, culture, tech, business, health, and wellness, food, etc., 
and it's great for discovering quality content from trusted individuals. So like we said, it's community, it's social. So it's a growing community of engaged, loyal content consumers and information junkies. There's no bullying. It's not toxic like other platforms. You'll feel more informed when you use Bookshelf. You'll feel like you learned something new. You'll feel like you've expanded your perspectives. And the quality and depth of the content is much better than other platforms. It's humans sharing content, which is better than algorithms sharing content. And Bookshelf is simple and easy to use. We use Bookshelf. We have several shelves. I have a fanboy. We have a Bookshelf that shows off all the books we've been talking about on our Booksplode show. So if you if you want to see those, if you don't know all the books we talked about, I also have a shelf for our Mediasplode show, where we've been listing the things we've been talking about on our Mediasplode shows, which we've had people write in and say, hey, what, what were you guys talking about on that one episode? Because you didn't put it in the show notes. So it's all on our Mediasplode bookshelf. And you can go there and you can click through. And it's, you know if you say, oh, I've never seen uh, Ted Lasso. You can click on Ted Lasso, and it'll take you to where you can find it. Oh, that's just a great thing to see right there. It's a lot of fun. You know, everyone is constantly consuming media, and everyone's constantly talking about it with their friends, and you don't necessarily know where to find things your friends are talking about. You can find it all on Bookshelf. So go to bookshelf.com. That's B-O-O-K-S-H-L-F.com. You can check out their website, and you can also download the iOS app from the Apple Store. Check it out. It's a great place to curate what you're engaging with. Got to leave the E out. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's how you get to it bookshelf but with no e there that's how you find it everybody likes curating their content and, and making lists and, and, and sharing it and that's a great place to sort of put it all together people love lists yeah they people can't get enough of lists yeah so this is great for that it's a great place you can refer back to what, what was i what was i watching back then or listening to or reading keep track of it all bookshelf.com b-o-o-k-s-h-l-f.com do you remember back in gi joe the original series it was like in the 150s there's like a bunch of gi joes were gunned down in a pit yep. yeah it's like one it's like 110 it, it's around there yeah and it was the viper something viper yeah. did it like it was a quick kick all those people did. since gi joe 7 i've been reading this current gi joe run mm-hmm. gi joe 7 was the one about sort of uh scarlet having ptsd and, right, right, and right. you know it was a great issue and then the last one I'm not actually sure how these are all related, except that, that we're in a world. That was the Cobra one last issue, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Cobra's taken over, basically, and are in charge of things. And G.I. Joe is more like a, uh, a covert guerrilla team. And this is all about, like, there was a mission in one of the cities or something like that. And everyone was killed except Tunnel Rat, who mm. has to, like, fight his way out. And, and I forget who the other character was. Uh, basically, it was down to these two. I want to say Dusty. I feel mm-hmm. like it was Dusty, but I, I don't. I'm not flipping through to find it right this second. And and they said, all right, well, one of us has to create a distraction, and the other one has to get back to um, shipwreck for the pickup. And and Dusty's like, well, you're going to make it a lot further than I am because he's Tunnel Rat. Mm-hmm. Which uh, Tunnel Rat, if if you've ever done the the research, Tunnel Rat's the worst thing to be in Vietnam. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Exactly, but. He's a survivor, and so he has to leave Dusty behind, you know, and he escapes. He gets through the, you know, he kills a bunch of bat. Actually, the mission was to destroy the capability for making bats chips so mm-hmm. they, they can't make more bats. We're the robot soldiers. Yep. You know, and he gets out, and, and Shipwreck's there to pick him up on a ship, which isn't wrecked. You know, he's like, where is everyone? He's like, they didn't make it. Shipwreck does this thing. He's like, "Well, we did the mission anyway." I was like, "Whoa, oh, chipper that shipwreck!" No, I mean it was sad, but he was really trying to find a silver lining to it. 
it was it was really fun. It was it was you know it was oh 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 and Ryan Kelly drew it. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a, it was a good little issue. And also this one and the last one and the one you could read all of them all on their own and you'd have a little GI Joe story. Interesting. It's been fun. Yeah. The last issue of Sex Criminals was sixty nine parentheses teehee Josh uh, Sex Criminals sixty nine and I thought you know I've dipped in and out of this series. I the think whole they time. jumped way ahead in the numbering. That's fine. To end on sixty nine. That makes sense. It's been coming out sporadically over the last few years as as Chip Zdarsky's career has picked up, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. And I just thought I would check in at the end. I always found that I could dip into this series, and it didn't really matter what I'd missed. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just something they were talking about. And I, I've had really mixed feelings about this over the, the course of it. Yeah. But I think there's something really interesting in it. I think there's something very honest in it, in the middle of it. And they all ended up at this wedding of these two dudes, and they're on some island and, you know, the, the two main characters are not together anymore. They've sort of moved on and, and grown up and he was in jail for a while and, and she found somebody who's nice but not super exciting. And it was really kind of subtle and sweet. And I, one thing I've enjoyed through the whole thing is uh, Zadarsky's artwork. Mm-hmm. I, think, uh, it's I think it's really, it's really beautiful in a, a very specific way that I don't like. I don't see him doing a Marvel book or something for right drawing. But, uh, you know, for this, I thought it worked really well. It was low on the hokey stuff. You know, which is depending on your sense of humor, which way you want to go. But it was it was kind of sweet, and I think at the end, it was a much better book than it should have been. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Batman Three Jokers Book Three wrapped up this three issue black label miniseries from Jeff Johns, Jason Fabok, and Brad Anderson. This was terrific. This was a terrific little miniseries, a terrific little Elseworlds Batman story. Certainly much more enjoyable than whatever was going on in the main books right now, in which, you know, the idea is there's three different Jokers, the criminal, the comedian, and the clown. The idea here is which one's the real Joker, does it even matter? The Joker's creating other versions of himself to try to sort of create their ultimate Joker. What you get here at the end is a little meta-commentary from Batman, which says, I know the Joker's real name, but it doesn't matter. Everyone is always obsessed with what is the Joker's name, what is his origin, what is the truth behind the Joker, and Batman at the end is basically like, I've known his, his real name since the beginning, it doesn't really matter what his name is. It's, you know, sort of like a meta-commentary to the entire Joker discussion. It looked great, Jason Fabok's art was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Jeff Johns is also doing the nine-panel grid here. Maybe not the best thing for Fabok, but it led to a really dense and interesting story. Cool. And it's a Batman that you're not getting right now in the main books. It's a very classic mm-hmm. Batman. And they, they dispatch with the Jason Todd, Barbara Gordon love story very quickly. It's surprising. I figured this would be 12 or 14 issues and we would just be living with it for years. I didn't know it was only going to be three. That seems that's so unusual now. Yeah. There's no set length for black label books. Yeah, I know. But it just, seems like three is kind of their sweet spot for a lot of them. There's a couple that have lasted longer. Are they oversized issues? Yeah, they're oversized. This is, yeah. uh, this is like 50 pages. Okay, so they'll put out. So it's, it is like six issues, basically. Fair enough. Yeah. So uh, patreon.com slash ifanboys where you can go to add a book to the rundown. This week, the overwhelming favorite as the patron pick was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, number one. Story by Eastman and Laird, creators of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Tom Waltz. And then Tom Waltz and Kevin Eastman did the scripts. Kevin Eastman also did the layouts, or did Laird do the layouts? Was it Eastman? Yeah, Eastman. Let me scroll by the 70 Laird covers. Laird was just on to. story. I remember very clearly when I was a kid having a huge preference for Laird over Eastman. Interesting. Because Laird was more cartoony. Oh, you're right. And Eastman, Eastman was more scratchy. Although, although, so, well, we can get into it when we talk about the art. Are there, are there mm-hmm. more set-up information? 
that we to go over. So one of the conversations that was had during, I guess it was the patron Discord channel after last week's show in which we made fun of Ryan and the Power Rangers was they were discussing what the patron pick was going to be, what they were going to vote for, and this book came up and they thought, well, maybe they'll hate it like Power Rangers and maybe they're the wrong age. And I was like, oh, contraire. We were exactly the right age of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, yeah. The cartoon stuff was a little late for us. No, the cartoon I, stuff was the very end of when I would have been watching cartoons, but I did watch them and I had the toys and everything, but it was like, I was like 10 or 11 or something. Like I mean, I, I had a collection, those oversized collections of the original series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had, I had two of the four of those, I think. I have three of the four. I read, I think, over and over and over and over again. And yes. then, then the cartoon hit, and that was an everyday thing after school for me. I think I started reading comics mm-hmm. just after the cartoon showed up, maybe the next year or so. And then I found out that there were these comics that they had been based on, and I found those collections you're talking about. And I, and I yeah, same thing. Like I fell in, I was like, these are amazing. I, I, I was buying it in issues. I want to say I started at eight or nine. Hmm. Yeah, like I and, and so I have, and then the, the teens they had all these. Uh, I remember the covers went gray. There was one story where it was like gray cover with like an in, an inset image. Mm-hmm. I have one of those somewhere. I have I have signed by Kevin Eastman because a friend of my mom's was at a wedding because he's from Maine, hmm. and Laird is from New England. Also, I think he's from Vermont. I might be wrong. Frank Miller's from Vermont, and. You know, like so, he, like he's you know, it's a little turtle head sketch in there, and he and he drew it. The series started in '84. Mm-hmm. You know, I was well too young to be go- reading indie comics at that point. They must have taken a big break because I was definitely buying the issues in teens. Oh, there's there's been series since then, but the original series, yeah. the one that was that the oversized books were collected from, was, was from the early '80s, and then the cartoon came on in 1990. So that was uh, junior high school. So well, that, I was reading I was reading comics in like '88, '89. I think is when I started. And it was during that time. That oh, I'm sorry. The cartoon, the cartoon came out in 87. I'm looking at the Yeah, that thing. makes more sense. So yep. We were 10 so that, years that old. So we were, that, that was totally the right age. I had the toys. I watched the cartoon every day. Yep. I read the comic. I mean, this is the most most successful indie comic book franchise of all time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, by far. They sold the rights to Nick Viacom for like $300 million a few years back. And it's kind of amazing that Kevin Eason's like, yeah, but let's do more comics. <laughs> Why not? I mean, I, I have to love that. You know, like... They don't have to do anything. They're doing fucking IDW comics. So there you go, Josh. Mirage Studios, the original publisher of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, was out of Dover, New, New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go work there. <laughs> I don't think they exist anymore, do they? Uh, no, no. So anyway, let's talk about this book. Just, just I want to give a context for, we, you know, we, sure. were, we were big, almost everyone of our generation of a certain age, of a certain inclination is huge Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fans. You know what else is interesting about them is that it's not unlike Batman in that, like, it persists and changes. Like, it yeah. hasn't gone away. No. It, there's just new versions of it, you know, for each successive generation, which is really cool. There's I don't fun. know what it is about that. There's films, there's animated series, There's there's been one, two, three, four... There's been four animated series. There's been direct-to-video movies. There's been multiple theatrical release films. I mean, so what's interesting is that originally what it was, it was kind of an indie take on Miller Mazzucchelli's Daredevil. It's 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 a ninja story, and I didn't know that then. But now looking at it, I was like, oh yeah, that's completely obvious. That's what this is, and it's not a bad thing. No, but like we're talking about if I started looking at those comics in '88, yeah, I mean you're talking about the golden prime era for an 11 year old 
to go, whoa, there's an adult version of this. <laughs> I mean, it was the coolest thing ever. Right. And this comic is very much out of that mold. Oh, yeah. This issue that we're talking about today, it is that version of it. So it was definitely, I think it's definitely a stylistic sweet spot. So this is the last Ronin, and it opens up after I had to scroll through 75 variant covers to get to. Literally. Yeah, so we're looking at our press copy, and the, the actual first page of the story is on page 72 of this PDF. I, from, at some point, I was like, I don't know this, when this is ever going to end. Maybe this is the whole issue. So <laughs> we're sometime in the future, and I haven't been reading the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics. I know people have been talking about them. I know when Paul was one of our co-hosts, he used to talk about the show a lot. I don't know if this fits into the longer story. I don't know if there's a longer story. I don't know. It's, it's fine. My point is, it starts sometime in the future. We have one of the turtles who's unidentified until the very end, who is old and crackly and is leading a one-man insurrection into Manhattan, which is like a giant fortress now with walls, like Escape from New York. And he has all the weapons. That's part of the reason you don't know who he is. He has the bow staff, he has the sword, he has the nunchucks, he has the scythe, and he has a black mask, so we can't identify him from the color of his mask, although that comics, they all wore red masks anyway. Which was awesome. And so he's trying to get revenge on somebody while also being haunted, or not haunted, but, well, I guess haunted, technically speaking, by the ghosts of his brothers who are clearly dead. You know, we don't know who he's getting revenge on or why. We don't know who he is. We just know he's trying to get somewhere, and eventually we, we find out who he's trying to get to. We figure, figure out who he is eventually. I actually really like this a lot. Yeah. I yeah. really like this. I did and didn't. I have, I have two thoughts on it. Yeah. What I do know is that Michelangelo is a party dude, so there's that. <laughs> well, that's the spoiler. That's who the, that's who the turtle ends up being. Which I didn't, I, I didn't think it, I didn't think it was him. Well, they were really leaning towards it being Raphael. Like there was every time they showed him holding something, it was the size. That's what I could see, and he's acting like Raphael did. Raphael was the brooder. He was almost the focus of the comic book. He was really the the person. I really liked looking at it. Mm -hmm. I, and it's it's perfectly like an Elseworld story. Like you can start. It doesn't matter. Like oh, they're all dead. This is the yeah. future. Oh, for sure. It's Dark Knight Returns. It looks great. It looks you know beautiful. It's modern, but it definitely has some of the flair of those old comics. And there's, you know, there's little bits where I haven't thought about in a really long time. So I think the villain is Shredder's grandson. Yeah. Esau, Esau and Isaac Escorsa are the artists. Well, the, the layouts are by, are by right. Eastman, though. Yeah, but you're saying the pencils have to over the yeah. layouts. So as a tone thing, as a, as a nostalgic thing, as a thing to look at and watch the action scenes, it was really fun. Basically, the whole thing was just characters talking to themselves mm -hmm. you know like it was it was the turtle talking to himself about everything and sometimes he would talk to the ghosts of his dead turtle brothers you know that's very surfacey in terms of like plot and it's it reminds it reminds me of a comic from 1984 trying to be edgy mm -hmm. you could have taken all the words out of it and i'd have been just fine with it and then like they cut to the the big bad and he's talking to himself too <laughs> like you couldn't get away with this in a marvel comic book and i don't know that you how long you well yeah you could but it would be tougher. We'd be really rough on it. But just to flip through it, to look at it, to see the action scenes, you know, it definitely brought me back to a time. I don't think it was particularly well written or anything, but you're right. It was a lot of fun to read. My thought at the end of it was like, if that was a one shot, I would have loved it. I don't know that I want to read more yes. of it. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. That's a really good way to look at when it. When I got to the end, I was like, man, if that had just been sort of one shot, Elseworlds future tale of, of the turtles and, and it ended as it, Edit as, as it ended, I would have been like, that was terrific. It will be difficult to not sink after this, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Because it's kind of a bummer. Like, you know, 
the only win to get out of this is is that like he beats his brothers or you know like they're dead. I don't know. It really did bring back a lot of the things that I remembered from the old comics, though, like the way that it was so it was a lot different than the cartoons and stuff that most people did. It was much it was a samurai book or a ninja book, basically. As a kid, if you go back, like you look at my like kid sketchbooks I had, I think I drew the turtles, you know, from those comics over and over again. Like the, mm-hmm. you try to ape that style or you know copy it. I love those <laughs> books. Yeah, those Eastman layered books. It's weird though; they they would switch back and forth, and I had a definite preference for layered over Eastman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just way more, you know, rounded and cartoony. But I was eleven, so that sort of makes. But I've also I still like that style now. It's that's interesting. I assume we have Casey Jones's granddaughter here. I don't know. There's a lot of things going There's on. There's a lot. Yeah. Like, I had to really stretch to remember the bits, you know? Oh, I didn't know. Like, it was like, it was like Shredder's my grandfather. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I recognize that I'm trying to find it where he, he said his name, Heroku mm-hmm. something. And I was like, I know that name. Like, I hadn't thought about it in really long I time. I thought about Googling it. And I was like, nah, I'm just going to keep reading to see if they give me Yeah, context. no, that's totally the way to go. And then they, they talk about... Oh, the Baxter, the, the scientist guy. Yeah. You know, and they mentioned that real quick. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah, this. And they're robots, but they're really zombies. And, you know. I feel like April O'Neil should have looked older. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know. The turtle is age fast or slow. Well, if Shredder's got a grandson and his grandson is like in his 20s yeah, or true. whatever. She looks kind of like Linda Hamilton in Terminator. It's like cool, but yeah. like she should have gray hair and be an old lady. Well, she's got to have red hair. But she should be old, and that red hair don't last. It goes white. Well, she dyes it. It's a trademark. That's true. You know what's really cool, though, is there's a bit where there's a flashback to them in their sort of turtle lair, and you see the turtles all looking young, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that made me happy. I was like, oh, there's a, and it's a, that flashback page is actually by a different artist, and I didn't list that here. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. So let's get to the complicated part, ratings. Ratings. Ratings on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, number one, at five. I really enjoyed reading it, so I'm going to go a little bit higher than I think I, I might. But normally, I think I'm going to go four and a quarter. Nice. I'm going to give it a subjective four. Yeah. Like, I don't know that if you're 25 and read this, I don't know. <laughs> but if, if you're our age and read it, there's going to be something there for you. There's going to be a feeling. It's going to be a tingle. Here's where I get weird. I'm probably not sticking with it, but if you would have handed me this entire miniseries in like a book, I'd probably read the whole book. Is that weird? No. I will probably read the next one. I don't know if I want to follow this for like the next six months. Is it six? I, I'm just, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I'm I just saying so. like. I, I think this is good for three. I want as, three. I as like a one, as like a sit down one time experience, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if I want to spend the next three months. I think that's fair because it will, all, yeah, it will only fade. I'll tell you what, I'll think about it. It'll depend on the week when it comes out is how, you know, how big the week is and how, you know, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. I really did enjoy reading it. The okay. cover for the next issue is terrific. Yeah. The black and white cover. What's nice though is if you don't like that cover. There's, There's another 65. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, man. All right. Patreon.com slash That means someone's buying those. I guess. That's where you can go add a book to the rundown. Uh, any patron can vote to add a book to the rundown. Uh, Patreon.com slash fanboy. It's really interesting that there is a whole economy in comics that you and I don't know, understand, or pay attention to at all. Like right. retailer variants and how they get them and who buys them and what it like. We have been doing this for 20 years, mm-hmm. and we're pretty knowledgeable. I don't know anything about that, 
and I don't understand it. And further, I don't want to. Yeah, I mean, we, we know the base level of like order yeah. a certain amount of copies, get your variant, that kind of thing, and then they turn around and sell them. I used to, back when I first moved to LA and went to a comic store for a few months before I went fully digital, you know, I, there were guys who would come in every Wednesday and, be, and buy the, they had the variants like under their glass case by the register for that week. And there was always like the same group of guys that would come in and spend like 70 bucks on one of the variants. Yeah, but the, the thing is, like they have value, but only for that window. Like, yeah, so, no, the, the value sinks. I don't know if it's a collector thing or what, but the value is artificial. I ended up with a valiant Jeff Lemire pencil sketch cover of something, and I sold it for like $150 that week. Yeah. And someone bought it immediately. They can't get another person to pay $150 for that, like, issue number 14 of whatever with a pencil sketch Jeff Lemire cover. Like, I don't, there's no market for that. I don't get it. I don't want to get it. Like you said, it's like a stock market for things that retain no value. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm gesturing with my hand like I'm making a serious point. <laughs> Quickly talk about how people can help the show. Sure, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/ifanboy. Patrons get to vote on which we do for the the patron pick, and that's normally an interesting conversation. There's other things there. Obviously, like the patrons. All together have helped build up the, the different sort of offerings that we've got right now. I and mean, the talks bloods, the books bloods, the media bloods. It's all led to extra shows, extra content, the hangouts. And I think that's the real strength of it. But uh, the real point of it is that you are saying, hey, there's all this stuff going on right now. And there's so much content. And there's all these streaming services. But what I think is important to me is this show that has been, you know, part of my life. And it's, I'm not even just main ours. It could be any podcast, whatever. But you're, you're sort of putting a little bit of support in there to make it worth, not worth our time. That's not the right way to put it. But, you know, it helps us out a lot. And it says that you appreciate the work that we put into this. And, and we appreciate that. So you can go there. There's another stretch goal. The next one would be doing a regular G.I. Joe Corner episode of some kind. Um, and then this, the goal after that would be a return of the quarterly barbecue show. Ugh long way from now I had, yeah, I had barbecue had... after after our hangout it was the greatest yep. it wasn't even the greatest barbecue it's fine barbecue it's 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 passable oh, but man yeah. just having it after having not having it after so long do you remember you know there was the old saying like even bad pizza is good pizza right, exactly. i don't believe that's true <laughs> no i've had really bad pizza yeah no but bad barbecue i guess it ex- it's hard to mess up yeah i mean i guess if you overcooked it yeah but if you're smoking it right, you can overcook it. So no, it's, it's, I don't want to denigrate it. It's, it was fine barbecue. I'm just saying, like, it wasn't even like the best barbecue, but it if, was just. If you good. hadn't had it in a long time, you, you, it's pretty good. Oh my god! I just, I didn't even think I sat down. I just stood over the counter in the kitchen and just ate it out of the thing. Because <laughs> I didn't want to stop. I took one bite and I didn't want to stop taking bites, so I didn't move from the counter. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, so that's patreon.com slash ifanboy. You can go to the t-shirt and sundry store over at ifanboy.threadless.com. We have our eight designs there, including the Stay Home and Read Comics stuff. And remember, a portion of those sales goes to the Comic Book United Fund to help our retailers. You want to skip all that rigmarole, get to our ifanboy.com slash support, and you can do a direct donation via PayPal if that's what you so choose to do. And finally, go over to ifanboy.com slash ifanboy, uh, where you will find a link to Amazon. <laughs> ifanboy.com slash Amazon. Amazon.com slash iFanboy is not a thing. No, you said iFanboy.com slash iFanboy, which I guess is a thing, but I don't know what that where that takes I don't know. Me. I'm guessing that would be weird if that was an error. I'm sorry. iFanboy.com slash Amazon, where you'll find links to Amazon to, to buy your home all the time. Holiday stuff. Don't tell me that you haven't been like, you know what I could use right now? <laughs> and you'll find links to all the books we've talked about on Booksplodes to keep yourself occupied if you're not going anywhere. So there. Yeah. That's it. The, the next thing would be patrons... If you, above the $5 or higher mark, you get a patron power. And this week, 
Matt Palmer has the ability to make any food out of solely vegetable matters, but it will be every bit as good and indistinguishable from that barbecue and steak that you so crave. So somehow he can take... Is it just for pure vegetables or like the stuff you make like vegetable stock with like the extras, just any kind of vegetable stuff? Yeah, anything that is non-animal product can be made into barbecue. Like, like these are the best ribs I've ever had or like a Thanksgiving turkey. You're like, what is this? This is all legumes. You're kidding me, Matt. <laughs> nope. <laughs> is it actually healthy? Yeah. Well, I mean. He's not transmogrifying vegetables into meat. It just tastes like no. barbecue, but it's actually vegetarian. It's just amazing alchemical. He's an incredibly talented food preparer. It's interesting. It is healthier. So it's well, like a veggie burger, but it actually healthy. tastes like a burger. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. And the texture isn't repulsive. Don't be coming out with that impossible burger stuff. I had one of those and it was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. There's an aftertaste. There's some, it can be 99% of the way, but that 1% is like, something's wrong here. Yeah. I've had to be on burger. It was pretty good. Chukalana's power. This is actually a food power also. I was, this was not planned. You know how like the Taskmaster can watch Captain America fight and then he can fight exactly like Captain America or he can shoot like Hawkeye as long as Connor, he sees Hawkeye. Of course I do. Well, I'm just, you know, I'm making sure. <laughs> you weren't talking to me. I know. Chukalana can watch any cooking show and immediately cook the dish and the style of the cook. It's a cooking-based Taskmaster power. That has to be in Chew somewhere. Like John Lehman must have done that. Maybe. I don't remember. Yeah. It's only cooking TV shows. It's not like Chukalana can watch Josh make ribs and cook Josh's ribs. It's only for oh, it has food. to be televised. It has to be televised. So it has to be broadcast or streamed. Yeah, I suppose Chukalana can watch you cook on one of our barbecue shows because that's technically. Yeah, that counts. But not like in the kitchen. Chukalana's cooking power only comes from screen based cooking. So is it then accepted knowledge and then that can be cooked or is it like a fugue state? Like you have to watch it immediately. And no, then... no, no. It's like Taskmaster. Once you're here, they learns it. They, you know, can cook. It's retained. Yeah, it's retained. Nice. Yeah. That's delicious. So you want to go to Chukalana's house for dinner? Yeah, definitely. You know what? Have Matt get over there and, <laughs> exactly. and then you've got the best of all worlds. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can go add a, uh, add a book to the rundown and also to become a patron and get your patron power live on the show. Let's do a quick email. James of Calgary, Alberta, Canada says, I have been a so-called Marvel zombie, quotation marks, for a while now. I feel like I'm missing something and often ask for DC recommendations. I have read many of them. New Frontier, Red Sun, All-Star Superman, Dark Knight Returns, Flashpoint. All great. Flashpoint. But as far as I can tell, these are all Elseworld stories. Why are so many beloved, revered DC stories outside of continuity? Do you have recommendations for the best in-continuity DC stories? And I thought this was interesting because yeah. I have not answered this version of this question because he's right. Many of the best recommendations I have are out of continuity. Well, this is the the grand continuity debate, which we used to have quite often, which we hardly do anymore. In fact, we just put a show out on YouTube. One of our old YouTube shows was literally the continuity debate episode. Because continuity is a lot of fun. At the time. Yeah, and when, when it's done well, when it's handled well, when the right pieces are put into place, it can be incredibly rewarding in a way that nothing else can be. It can also be a giant drain and an anchor on the storytelling. And so with a book like Also Superman or with like Red Sun and New Frontier or Dark Knight Returns, the creators can really just focus in on the characters, their essence, not worry about baggage, not worry about is this the proper version or histories. They can just tell an essential story, a story that gets to the essence of the characters without worrying about 
you know, where they are right now, you know, they can just break it down to the essential building blocks of the character and focus on that. And what makes the character great in the first place. Mm. And that's something that you can do not worrying about continuity. It's harder to do in regular books. So you got to juggle a lot of masters and a lot of things. And New Frontier can be set in the 60s. It can be, the characters can all be like they're, they're the, the version of the characters that Darwin Cook sees is the best. He has total control. Same thing with All-Star Superman and Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly can really just hone Everything in on... Everything Tom Taylor is doing right now. Yeah. Do you believe that DC's best tend to be out of continuity stories, whereas many of Marvel's famous storylines tend to be in continuity? Yeah, because they just don't do as many out of continuity stories. Yeah, that's true. And we, we do like them when they do. And even things like the Old Man series has been great. Yeah, yeah. And that's essentially out of continuity because future stories are never really fully yeah. in continuity. So those have been great too. It's just that they don't really do them as much. Yeah, that's interesting. So that said, what would you throw at him? Probably a lot of it's going to be older, but like I have on my iPad right now all of the uh, JSA run from Jeff Johns and James Robinson and David Goyer and mm-hmm. that whole JSA, the Justice Society of America transition where the book changed titles and but stayed basically the same team. Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorite all-time DC runs. You know, we really loved the beginning of that Green Lantern run when the Sinestro Corps War and all that stuff really kicked off. That was incredible. I mean, I'd say Grant Morrison and Howard Porter's JLA. Yeah. That's a really good one. <laughs> I could go, Hitman was technically in continuity. Yep. Gotham Central mm-hmm. is in continuity. How about this one? Cataclysm and Aftershock. Yeah. Those were a Batman stories no where Man's Gotham was, was hit by. Uh, those were so good all the way through. Like for years, they were amazing. Gotham City's hit by a giant earthquake. And then there's the aftershock and then becomes no man's land because Gotham is cut off from the world and it becomes its own sort of little serfdom. Yeah. That was great. It's incredible. That's the like characters come out of that. Greg Rucka was the main writer. Like it was a terrific run. Mm-hmm. At the same time you had Brubaker doing Batman and that, that was a great run of books too. Um, mm-hmm. you, I mean, you can always find great runs. Jeff Johns is run on flash and on Mark Wade's run on flash and Jeff Johns is run action comics. I mean, there's tons of great in continuity DC books. But for the most part, when you're going to hand someone a trade paperback or something from DC and say, this, you should need to read this, it's most likely going to be an Elseworlds story. Just, that's just yeah, I'd say that's right. Yeah. I, I think I just gave him, like, like this 100 issues is good. <laughs> it probably isn't too No, but that, that, there's absolutely great. I mean, you can go back into listen to 20 years of, sh- of us shows of us talking about great DC books. Yeah. As far as, like, collected stories, plus Elseworlds stories tend to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. So you get a satisfying, like, story arc. Yep. There's no lack of good DC books. I'm just trying to think. And the problem is a lot of them are pre is, the last. Is Man of Steel? Yeah, I mean, John Byrne's Superman stuff is terrific. Man of Steel miniseries. Yeah. And then the first, I think, the 22 or 23 issues of the Superman reboot book after Crisis and Infinite Earths with John Byrne. And that was Peter David's Aquaman. Peter David's Aquaman was great. A lot of these are late 80s to 90s, early 2000s. And then, you know, it gets challenging with the New 52 because there's certainly good books came out of that. You know, obviously Snyder and Capullo's Batman was a great run. Mm-hmm. And that's a great set of books and that used continuity. And I would hand that to any Batman fan without a problem. The Batgirl series from the early 2000s. Yeah, that, the Stephanie Brown Batgirl. Oh, those two. Yep. The Cassie Kane Batgirl series. Mm-hmm. It was Kelly, Kelly Puckett. Jones? Kelly Puckett. Puckett. Kirby Puckett? Kirby, Kirby Puckett, Puckett played from Minnesota Twins. <laughs> Kelly Puckett. <laughs> Uh, was the writer? Yes. Uh, that was a great series. And then also the Stephanie Brown uh, Batgirl series in the early 2000s or mid-2000s, whenever that happened, was a great series as well. So that's a lot. There's a lot. There's a ton out there. Yeah. And I, like I sure. said, we've, we've been talking about these books for 20 years. There's, there's, there's been no lack of discussion about, about great DC books. So 
fun conversation that you can write to us at contact at iFanboy. Don't ever hesitate to send in a question. Talksplode is out with Gene Lu and Yang. I spoke with him for about an hour and 20. Real big fan of that. Uh, Booksplode, Connor and I talking about uh, Brubaker and Phillips Pulp. That's out. Animated Brain Trust, Batman Death in the Family. That's out. Are you catching a pattern here? Yeah. And then this last week, there's a new media explode where we talk about Ted Lasso. Also a West Wing special. And the, we did like four emails that were fun. Yeah. A lot of show in there. Yeah. Almost exactly an hour. Those shows, we don't time them. We just do them. And they've almost all of them been almost exactly an hour, which is bizarre. Yep. So uh, you can check all that stuff out. Those, other than the animated ones, those are all because of the patrons. Mm-hmm. And even more than that you all get to listen to them if even if you're not a patron so uh you should thank your patrons for those things and we should curse them for giving us more work except they're very fun to do yeah they are and this was a this was a crazy week in terms of shows so you got eight shows this this not week the crazy month you got eight shows this month and uh they were fun we were going to talk about other things but there's only tv now sorry <laughs> yeah, so check us out at ifanboy.com that's where all of our shows are all of our old content you can find a lot of writing on old dc books or over at ifanboy.com a lot of old articles you can also find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes up by liking facebook.com slash ifanboy and following at ifanboy on Twitter and ifanboy comics on Instagram, which also is where you can find the best of the week in panels feature when there are best panels to feature. Individually, we are C.S. Kilpatrick and J.A. Flanagan on Instagram. We did not coordinate our usernames. <laughs> we have a YouTube page, youtube.com slash ifanboy. This is also something the patrons unlocked. We've been uploading our old video content from 12 years ago to youtube.com slash ifanboy. Three episodes a week come out. This past week, we had a mini in which Chris Eliopoulos from On the Floor of New York Comic Con told us how he met John Romita. And then uh, we had a spotlight show on Alan Davis, and we also did a vault show, a vault show. We each reviewed a single trade paperback. That was where you got a lot of indie books talked about, but also classic Marvel and DC stuff is there as well. I don't know exactly what we talked about on this one, but you can find all those at youtube.com slash ifanboy, where you can like and subscribe to our channel there and make sure you don't miss any of those old video shows. Boy, we are deluging people, aren't we? Yeah, well, there's a lot of content. Patrons unlocked a lot of stuff. Is that a verb, deluging? Deluging. I don't believe it is. I don't don't think that works. We are unleashing a deluge. If you like this show, if you like the things that we do, you can leave a review or a star rating over on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that lets you review those kind of things. We appreciate everybody does that, too. I I just want to thank all the people for for being rad. I I think it's really great. It's been a constant, by the way, as long as we've been doing this. Great people. Or better yet, tell your friends all about us. Post on social media. Share the links. Take forth what we have said and either agree or disagree publicly or privately amongst your family over dinner. Whatever it is you want to do, it's up to you. (laughs) Uh, And that is the end of this show. I am Josh. I'm Connor. You stay safe out there. It seems to be getting scarier. Who knows what's going to happen over the next week. If you haven't, good Lord, go vote. Please do that. Wash your hands. Stay away from people uh, as much as possible. Be safe and help people out. Be the best person you can right now because everybody needs that. Be more Ted Lasso. That's what you need to do. Exactly. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Pressure! I'm sure you have some cosmic rash now.